Good morning again, and welcome to Church of the Cross. As we come again to hear from the living God and His Word, let's begin in prayer. Gracious and almighty God, we come today in worship. We come to hear from Your Word. We come to this table in the sure hope of the resurrection, in the sure hope of what You have done in and through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we pray now that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would be at work among us, that the fruit of new life in him might be made manifest, might come forth in our lives, our life together. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. The journalist and writer Upton Sinclair once famously said, it's difficult to get someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it. A similar quote has been attributed to H.L. Mencken, never argue with one whose job depends upon not being convinced. TV news personality Chris Matthews put a, a modern spin on this when he wrote, never ask a plastic surgeon to compliment your youthful good looks. It's difficult to see the truth of something when the claim runs counter to our self interest It's hard to be convinced of a truth that upsets the status quo or upends our privileged position. It's difficult to think straight when you're firmly invested in one outcome. Confirmation bias is the reality that we're likely to believe and remain convinced of things that confirm our already held beliefs or that we would like to be true. Our vested self-interest can guide or shape our convictions, lead them astray. The first reading we heard this morning coming from Acts chapter 5 depicts something of this reality. It does so in this courtroom-like setting. The apostles and Peter, those sent out by Jesus to preach and teach, are brought before the council. It sounds ominous. And the council our passage refers to would have been the preeminent religious leaders of the Jewish people in this time. While under the rule of the Roman Empire, this council existed to adjudicate local, religious, and legal, and governmental affairs. It was the highest authority within Israel, composed of the high priest and other teachers and scribes from Sadducees and Pharisaical groups, all who had ascended to a place of prominence. The council, we might say, are those whose salaries depend on them not being convinced, not being convinced of the gospel of Jesus, not being convinced of the Easter news we celebrated last week and continue to celebrate through the Easter season. In reflecting on our reading, pastor and biblical scholar Will Williman asked the question, who is foolish enough to try to stop the movements of God? Who is foolish enough? The answer seems to be those who are invested in the way things are. Those convinced of their righteousness and the rightness of the status quo. The powers that be. The full title of the book of Acts is The Acts of the Apostles. The actions, the words, the deeds of those who were sent by Jesus. Who lived in the light of Easter reality of Jesus' resurrection. In the words of the prayer we just prayed moments ago, they're the acts of those who showed forth in their lives what they professed by their faith. 
Those who lived out of the conviction the tomb was empty. Jesus' body was raised. And that conviction, those acts, put the apostles at odds. At odds with the powers that be. With authorities, with those invested in the status quo. Through this Easter season, we are going to be journeying through the book of Acts, through the story of those sent by Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the way they live into the reality of Easter, the way the resurrection gave shape to their lives. The idea in doing so is that even though they lived long ago and in a culture quite different from our own, we might learn from them. We might learn from their example of what it means today to live in light of the resurrection, what it means to be a community shaped by Easter reality. As we begin this morning with Acts chapter 5, our passage reminds us or demonstrates for us, I think, three truths related to living in light of the resurrection. First, to do so is to be subject to a new authority. Second, it is to be on a collision course. And third, it is to be caught up in something grander than we can imagine. A new authority, a collision course, caught up in something grander. First, a a new authority. The question of authority is at the heart of our reading today. Whose authority holds sway? Such a question is actually also at play in our lives. A fundamental question for each and every one of us is, who is my teacher? From whom am I gaining and gleaning wisdom? To whom do I owe allegiance? Which commitments are primary for the shape of my life? As Jews, Peter and the apostles of Jesus would have been subject to and accustomed to being subject to this council, the religious political authorities of their day. And these powers, like all state authorities, exerted their control through the threat of violence, the power of the sword. If you step astray, if you criminalize yourself, you'll be punished. The apostles and Peter pointed this reality in verse 30. They declare the council has killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree. Condemnation has been rendered, sentence has been let let down, and carried out. The description of Jesus' death on the cross is is the death of one hanging on a tree is an allusion to this Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 21, where it says, if one commits a crime punishable by death, you hang him on a tree. The authorities do this. And the one who hangs there is cursed by God. As a way of not defiling the community, the curse falls on this one criminal person. The authorities of this day regarded Jesus as such, as guilty of a crime punishable by death, as cursed by God. The powers that be had spoken. But something has happened. Something unexpected and glorious has happened. His heart beats and everything is changed. We often celebrate Easter, the resurrection, in terms of the promise of new life, of the hope we have for the future. And that's all true. What we celebrate on Easter has these joyful implications for the future. But it also has this retroactive effect as well. 
it changes how we might look into the past. It changes specifically how we might look at the life of Jesus. And in that direction, looking backward, what took place on Easter is fundamentally understood as a vindication. This is what Peter and the apostles are seeking to explain. This same Jesus who you, the authorities, killed in the name of God, that same God, the God of our fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one whom you purport to worship and speak for, has raised from the dead. That same God has now exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. The resurrection is God's validation of Jesus, his vindication of him as the son of God, a vindication of the way he lived, of all that he spoke and did. If it all ends in the cross, if it all ends in Good Friday, no one should live as Jesus did. It doesn't work. But the reality of the resurrection means that Jesus' life is commended for us. And he is elevated as an authority, such that after his resurrection, in Matthew 28, he can make this astounding claim. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus, the washer of feet, the humble servant of all, has been raised to the highest place of authority the ruler of the kings, as we heard in our Revelation reading. Jesus' place as an authority in the lives of his disciples is summed up in this short phrase, in this name. The council forbids them from teaching in this name, the name of Jesus. In our gospel reading, this same phrase is used in the very last verse that you may have life by believing in his name. To live in the name of Jesus, to teach in his name, is to make him the center, the authority in our lives. To make his perspective, his priorities, central in our own life. The preposition used in verse 28, in, means on the basis of. That is, the apostles were teaching in such a way that invoked and relied upon the name of Jesus and his authority. This weekend, we had a, a men's retreat out at Camp Buckner, just beyond uh, Marble Falls. And on our way out there on Friday night, I was actually pulled over by the police. I had a uh, one headlight out in my vehicle, and they pulled me over. And there were four of us in the car. It was about 9 o'clock at night. There were four of us guys... But the person who had the authority, who had the control, was this police officer, this woman. She exercised authority. She was in control of the situation. Not because of her personal authority necessarily, but because she came in the name of the law. She came vested in, relying upon this authority. You think of a police officer who comes to a door and knocks on the door. They don't say, open up in the name of George or in the name of whatever they are. They say, open up in the name of the law. In the same way, the apostles are teaching in the name of Jesus, referencing him, standing upon his authority. This is how we, as God's people, as the church, are called to live. To make Jesus as normative for our lives today. To rely upon his authority, to make his teaching, his way of life as the basis for our own. 
to live as if the way of the cross is the way of life, to look to him and his perspective for the fundamental questions of our lives. To live in this way is to receive him as a new authority, as the risen Lord, the one to whom all authority has been given. To live this way also means we live on a collision course. To teach in this name, to live in the name of Jesus, is to be inherently on a trajectory that puts the apostles, puts us at odds with the powers that be. As Jews, like I said, the disciples would have understood themselves previously to be under the authority of this council. They would have seen this council as a voice of significant authority on religious, social, and political matters. In our gospel reading, they're described, the disciples, as being in fear of these authorities. But post-Easter, after they understand they've been confronted with the truth of the resurrection, this council is understood as a human institution alone. We must obey God rather than men, these uneducated just recently fearful common disciples respond to the, elite, the elites of their day. There's a collision, a clash here. To live in the name of Jesus, to make him the authority of our lives, means inevitably at some point to live at cross purposes with human authorities and institutions, the powers that be. Jesus' interpretation of the law, his understanding of God's ways, God's perspective and priorities, put him in opposition to the authorities of his day, such that they considered him an enemy, a threat, such that they condemned him to die. This same dynamic we will see play out in the story of Acts among Jesus' followers. This reality of a collision, a clash, is one that should not be unexpected. To welcome Jesus as authority, to live in his name is to diminish and relativize every other claim over our lives. The claims of citizenship, the claims even of family, the claims of societal norms, each and every one of them are to be understood as submitted to the claims of Christ over our lives. Such that the claims of our society, the claims of citizenship can be examined in relationship to the claims that Jesus makes over us. And inevitably, these human authorities, the claims they make, will clash, will challenge those of Christ at some level, at some point. Because human authorities are inherently fallen and sinful, prone to injustice and corruption. Jesus' resurrection is an exposure of this reality. It's what Jesus' resurrection demonstrates regarding the counsel the apostles are brought before. Jesus' death on the cross is this grave miscarriage of justice, rooted in petty jealousy, commitment to the way things are. His resurrection by the God of Israel exposes the powers that be for their frail, corrupted institutions they are, political authorities, religious authorities, claiming to speak for God, claiming to uphold justice, but in reality, fallen and sinful. This past season, I was reading the book by Jamar Tisby, The Color of Compromise. In that book, Tisby recounts how the church in America has not just been complicit in history, but has actively supported 
white supremacy and injustice and oppression in its name. Religious authority riven with sin and corrupted. It's difficult to imagine ourselves, perhaps, in a situation as dramatic or clear as the one the apostles find themselves in our reading. Brought before a tribunal, a court, in such an obvious fashion. The clash we might experience as followers of Jesus, it seems to me, likely involves cultural pressures, the subtle messages we receive regarding what the good life actually is and consists of. To live in the name of Jesus, to accept him as authoritative, means we must reassess all our plans for living. That's the meaning of repentance, right? To consider the messages regarding what values we have, regarding wealth, our bodies, the good life, to consider the totality of our lives in light of his teaching, to examine them. This is a challenging thing to do. It means that the apostles and we cannot simply go along with the flow. To bear the name of Christ as risen Lord is to accept the inevitability that we live in some way out of sync with the world as it presently is. Over the past few weeks, I've been captivated a little bit by the story of a number of gentlemen in Hong Kong who are on trial and are being sentenced even now for the part that they played in the uh, Umbrella Revolution, the Occupy Central movement that took place in Hong Kong in 2014. One of those men, Chu Yu Ming, is a Baptist pastor who is over 70 years old. He recently had an opportunity to give a statement before the court, after he'd been found guilty. And he considered this, you can tell, he took a lot of time, he thought through very much what he was going to say, and he said some remarkable things. In facing, facing the sentencing of this court, he said, I have been called as a servant of the Lord, in imitation of Christ, following his steps, taking up his mission making known his concerns for the world, unafraid of political pressure or how others see this work. We together have opted for a peaceful and nonviolent way. Although the power of injustice before us is immense and those holding power capricious, we are not afraid, nor will we run away. We stand by the dignity of the human person made in the image of God and resort to peaceful, nonviolent means of struggle. Our way is to expose the injustice of unjust laws, making it impossible for evil to hide behind legitimate fronts. And he charges his hearers, take a further step, walk with others, following Christ each step of the way. That is remarkable courage. And the apostles and Peter in our reading this morning exhibits similar courage. They are not dissuaded. This interaction with the council in our reading is one of several they have throughout Acts chapter 4 and 5. And throughout those interactions, their teaching in the name of Jesus, in this name, remains consistent and constant. They are not dissuaded. Immediately following our reading, even, the apostles face an intensification of opposition. The clash deepens. The council seeks their lives. They're punished. They're not dissuaded, however, and they even rejoice 
beyond mere endurance or courage, they rejoice. This kind of response is made possible by the conviction that to live in light of the resurrection is to be caught up in this grand work of God, to be caught up in something much larger and greater than our own lives. In his amazing book, Reading the Bible with the Damned, Bob Ekblad recalls leading a Bible study with a group of incarcerated prisoners. He describes how these seemingly damned individuals, damned in the eyes of the world, saw themselves in Jesus as one who was wrongfully imprisoned, put to death, put to suffering by the powers that be. They saw them suffering under the same authorities, opposed in the same way. And when it came to the resurrection, Ekblad described how the prisoners he was working with marveled at the thought of Jesus' bodily resurrection and how it meant the overcoming of these human and corruptible authorities. If we could die and live again, there's nothing they can do to us, they marveled. These prisoners keenly grasped that the resurrection, the vindication of Jesus, meant that the powers that be would no longer have the same power and authority. They would no longer hold sway. It means it's possible to be on the wrong side of the law and right with God, even participating with him. In the resurrection of Jesus, the realities of death, sin, and evil are exposed and stripped. They're diminished. So those authorities that would rely upon the power of death, the threat of violence, are diminished in their hold. We must obey God and not men. Even more so, what the apostles have in the resurrection is the sure hope of God's work in and through them as they follow in the way of Jesus. The vindicated way of Christ is not just the good, the true, the beautiful, but it is to be caught up participating in God's work of renewal and restoration. The identification of Jesus as leader means he's a new authority. But it also means he's one who fulfills this longing the people of God had. He is this one who would give repentance, the forgiveness of sins, who would restore their broken relationship with God and lead them in the way of life and blessing for others, who would rule and reign and lead the people of God back to the life for which they were made. This is Jesus, the vindicated and risen Lord. Those now who live in the name of Jesus are with the apostles' witnesses, are sent alongside, following after their example, alongside the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, bearing witness now in life, in countercultural life, shaped and informed by the authority of Jesus, caught up in the drama and sweep of God's restoration of all things, his renewal of creation. Reverend Ming opened his comments before that tribunal by saying, I am a Christian minister committed to the service of God, and I have resolved to live a life of friendship with the weak and poor, praying that God's justice be manifest on earth as it is in heaven, that his gospel of love and peace would be proclaimed among all people. This is the remarkable part. But today... Old and gray, I find myself in the defendant's dock, 
making a final plea as a convict. It looks so absurd, if not outright shameful, for a person holding my holy office. And yet at this very moment, my heart tells me that with this defendant's dock, I have found the most honorable pulpit of my ministerial career. That is a remarkable perspective. That is a man who sees himself caught up in something much greater, much more important than his own life, who in light of the resurrection, in light of the reality of Easter, has entered into something better and greater. It is difficult to convince someone of something when their salary depends upon them not understanding it. When they're invested in the way things are, the status quo. God's raising of Jesus, the resurrection, it upsets the status quo, upsets the normal course of events in a world under the power of death, evil, and sin. And truth be told, there is something of me that is invested, committed to the way things are, to the normal course of events. Who is foolish enough to oppose the movement of God? Sometimes I am. The same sin and corruption that is exposed in the resurrection is at work in me. But the particular promise and power of Jesus' resurrection is that what is new, the grand work of God that we first get a glimpse of in the resurrection is something so much better, so much greater, so much more lovely than the way things are. And the particular beauty of it is that you and I, even in our sin, even in our corruptibility, our weakness, our opposition to God, can be included. We can find life by believing in Jesus' name. We can receive power from on high in the Spirit that we might become agents, participants, witnesses in God's glorious work of renewal. This Eastertide, may it be so among us. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, we thank you for the example of the apostles, the example of Peter and these others. We thank you for the example of Reverend Ming in Hong Kong. Thank you for his words. We pray your blessing upon him and those who suffer with him. In this Easter season, O oh Lord, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit in your mercy, deepen in us the conviction of Jesus as Lord, a reality that can be so hard to see. Would you drive it deep in us? Then we might be willing to count the costs and follow after him. That we might be willing to follow hard on the way of the cross, knowing it to be the way of life. And for those of us here who perhaps, because of our sin, because of our weakness, our failures, would have a sense of being excluded, disqualified in some way, would you in this moment, by the power of your Spirit, reveal your grace, your goodness, your ability to draw us in, in mercy, and raise us up to new life and participation with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.